Fire Radio. I don't, I don't know how I follow up on that. That's very kind. Uh, I'm just a dumb fireman, um, truly. And you're going to learn that today as I speak. But Brad, thank you for the invitation. Too kind on the introduction. Um, I don't like stages. I like to wander, but it's kind of a weird setup. So I guess I'm going to have to hang up here. Um, thank you for spending your Saturday uh, here. I'm not going to keep you the whole day. I only have 475 slides. So we'll navigate through it. Um, but I want to thank you guys for being here. Um, the message I talk about today is generational. Um, there's a lot of conferences, a lot of guys out there. And you're okay? You can hear me? I don't need the microphone? Okay. Um, there's a lot of programs out there today. Most programs out there today in the American Fire Service talk about operations, tactics, considerations, firefighting. There's a whole other side to the job that I tend to get more questions about than anything else. And that's how do we navigate the firehouse? How do we navigate today's fire department? How do we navigate the differences between young and old? See, when we started National Fire Radio, and I'm going to go into my whole story, but I just want to give you a little background. Is anybody not familiar with myself or National Fire Radio? Just curious. Awesome. I love you guys. Because hopefully today you understand where I come from and why I do what I do. Because I get to do this. I get to travel all over the country. I go to conferences. I go to different places. And I get to talk about the job. And on my podcast, I end every single podcast by saying, talk about the job. Take this conversation, the podcast, take it back to your firehouse and talk about it. Because as we talk about the job, we're making the job better. Meaning, the more we live in, the more we confine ourselves to the job, the better it gets. We need to immerse ourselves. It is okay to love the job. It's okay to love the guy and girl next to you that are on the apparatus, the ones riding backwards, the ones riding forward. It's okay. And we should be proud of it. For you guys to be here today, you're not the ones that need to hear this message. That's the thing. The ones that we need to reach don't come to events like this. And so for me, that's part of my struggle. And so what the idea was with National Fire Radio when we started it was to build a platform that can tell the stories of the senior man, capture the culture and traditions of the fire service so that it lives in perpetuity on the channels that matter. How many people are reading magazines today? You're still reading them cover to cover, fire engineering when they come. Cool. Uh, out of the guys that raise their hands, probably everybody's over f close to 40 years old and over. The younger generation is the younger generation reading fire engineering magazine. No. Why? It's, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but why? It's not convenient, right? Can't read. That's good. <laughs> That's it too. Out of a magazine like that, they can only publish so many articles every single month. And then they make you go look for more information. They make you go look for it instead of them bringing it to you. There's a broken system. It's not just in our firehouses. It's in the American Fire Service. We need to start getting back in the way of taking the friction out of the system and giving the information and content to the generations on the platforms that they consume it on. That's what we need to do. And so that's what I'm setting out to do with National Fire Radio going on our sixth year this March. I'm very proud of it. So anyway, I want to give you a little background about my story, who I am. I think my story matters because it tells the story of why I do what I do today. So this is a brand new slide. Brad, you probably didn't see this slide before because back in September, I had the opportunity with National Fire Radio and my team we went to Hawaii and I documented the fires that happened in Maui. 
I spent seven days in Maui. It was the most unbelievable experience of my life, so much so that I, I made a point of taking my wife and children with me on that trip. We stayed in Maui. I interviewed firemen, civilians, victims, politicians, cultural leaders. The diversity in the Hawaiian culture is amazing. The lifestyle they live is amazing. We need more of that aloha spirit in the fire service. They talk about order. The Hawaiian culture is super important to me as I immersed myself in their culture and in their lifestyle. And we had a full access pass to everything there. We went through Lahaina. I saw the thousands of burned out buildings. I met survivors. I met people that lost everything. I met guys on the Maui Fire Department, and you can listen to it on our podcast. We interviewed a lot of them where they talked about the worst day of their life and they thought they were going to die. They had engine companies blocked in. They had guys underneath apparatus gasping for their last breath of air. They're lucky they didn't lose entire companies that day. They were consumed by fire, and there was nothing they could have done. The cards were dealt against them. So we set out with National Fire Radio. We had this incredible opportunity to go there and document the story, and it changed my life. And that's no bullshit. I'm a no-bullshit type of guy. Pat Sharkey in the front row, he's a friend of mine, has nothing to do with the fire service other than his father being retired from the job. He came down to see me because he lives up this way. He's part of my other side of my life, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But he'll tell you that I'm different because of that experience. I have my beads on my wrist. It reminds me of the guys that I met there every single day. And that was something important to me. It changed me because it made me put in perspective how important life truly is and how fast it can be taken away. But the aloha spirit, the Hawaiian people believe in one thing, one important thing, order. What is up is up, what is down is down, meaning order matters, just like in the fire department. Whether you're the dishwasher or the president, whether you're the head of the household or the guy that's doing the laundry, we all have our place in the order, and we have to know where we fit in in the order in order to contribute. And if we all contribute where we belong, we are successful. It's the same thing on the fire ground. There's a lot of parallels between the Hawaiian people and their culture in the American fire service. So it was a, a spiritual thing for me. I talk about it because it had such an impact on me and my family, and I got to share it with my family, and we're still putting out content, uh, interviews, and, and so on. It was just a, an incredible experience. So i just like to throw this slide up there because it gets me and allows me to talk about it a little bit. So for me, family's everything. Um, I just realized this morning on the way here, this is my father, 81 years old, he'll be 82 this year. In the volunteer firehouse, that guy still comes out 3 o'clock in the morning. 700 runs a year, this guy's still running out the door. He loves the fire service. He raised me in the firehouse. He's my everything. Everything in my life revolves around my father because he gave me such an incredible upbringing, and I'm super proud of that. I didn't get it early on. I get it today. He's one of my best friends. I look up to him. This picture to me is super special, super important to me, um, and it's the family business. I'll give you a little background on that. But he is everything. But what I realized on the way here this morning is I don't have a picture of my wife or kids in this whole presentation. So <laughs> anyway, outside of the firehouse, I'm a 29-year fireman. I'm a volunteer fireman. Never went career, and I'll tell you why in a few minutes. But I had every opportunity to be a career fireman. I deferred the job more than twice. I had opportunities. I would have been, I was just telling these guys before, that I could have been retired by now if I took the job at 20 years old. But I had this 
sense of debt to my parents. My parents were able, they gave me a good upbringing. My father worked hard. He created a business in 1980 called Tri-State Bearing. He gave us an incredible living, a great upbringing, and I'm, I'm grateful for it today, but I took it for granted when I was a kid. I didn't understand it. Um, and through that business that he created, he wasn't home a lot. He worked hard. He worked 12, 14 hours a day, six days, seven days a week. Yet he still gave back to his community. He still gave me a sense of civic-mindedness. He taught us how important the fire service was. I wasn't one of those kids that was allowed to have free reign at the firehouse. It's not like we could go down there and the kids could run around. We had to have utmost respect for the firehouse. When I went to the firehouse, it was for something, an event, or we were driving by and, and we would beg him to go look at the trucks or jump on the trucks. But I didn't have the relationship at the firehouse growing up where I could just walk in and have free reign of the place. We had to carry that place with much respect because he did. That was his place. And if we went there as kids, my brothers and I, it was done through absolute respect. Respect for the equipment, the men, the department. So my father was my everything. This is the family business. I felt indebted to him. I went off to college. They were able to pay for my college. I didn't have any, any student debt. They took care of me. They provided me an incredible living. And in return, I had every opportunity to get hired. But I felt that at the time, it was selfish to take the job. I felt that I owed it to my parents and the, and the family business that raised me to give back to them. And so I deferred the job once, I deferred it twice, I was on many other lists, my number was called, but by then I graduated college, went into the family business, and by then I had a career in front of me that it was hard to turn away from. In retrospect, I don't have any, I don't have any regrets in life, none. I think everything we do in life makes us who we are today, the good and the bad. This is one thing though that hinges, I'm like, man, I would have loved to be a career fireman because it would have given me what I have today, but I don't know if I'd be here today then standing on this stage, stage speaking to you guys. And so life works in funny ways. So I felt indebted to the family business, so I never went into the career fire service. And so I'm a 29-year volunteer firefighter who loves the job probably more than most career guys. I live this. I love it. It is my life. I just happen to do something else that pays the bills. That's me. I grew up that way, right? Tommy Boy, one of... Probably top 10 movies, I mean, if you're in my generation, you understand that, you get it, this, Happy Gilmore, there's, you know, Billy Madison, there's a few, right? I was Tommy Boy. My father is Tom Donch. I'm Jeremy Donch. I was Tommy Boy. Fat, drunk, and stupid was no way to go through life. See, growing up, I was given everything. I had a good upbringing. My parents didn't give me a lot of diversity. They didn't give me a lot of issues where I had to learn how to deal with them on my own. I was given a lot of things, and I took it for granted. And through college, I went to college for five years. Should be a doctor, I'm not. I'm a ball bearing salesman and a volunteer fireman. But the fun part about that was when I went to college, I had the opportunity to ride an incredible combination fire department. And if I didn't want to go out drinking, or I didn't want to go to the bar, or I didn't want to hang out at the frat houses, I'd go up to the firehouse and we'd catch work every Friday, Saturday night. It was a busy department and we went to work back then. And so it was fun because I navigated the fire service in a combination department being treated as an equal, being treated as one of them, as one of the career guys. And that's what the first impression I had of me was this was a job and it doesn't matter what hat you wear. It's a job. The fire doesn't care where you come from, who you are. It's the same on every fire ground. It doesn't matter who's behind the line or who's searching above. 
doesn't matter. And so you got to be on your game. I grew up as Tommy Callahan. That was me. Not proud of it, but it's part of my story. It's who I am. And at some point, I had to grow up. See, in the family business, things were good. I was given a credit card, a car. You're an outside salesman. Go develop business. And so it was like I was the boss's kid, man. And I was your typical boss's kid. I was a mess. I had no direction. I just thought this was the way it was going to be. 2008, 2009 comes in the family business. Now, if you're involved in a family business, cash flow is typically always tight. You know, you're taking, you're giving, you're taking, you're giving. We're paying family members and so on. 2008, 2009 comes. The economy tanks, starts to bottom out. My father pulls me aside and says, hey, we have to let people go or you're out. What are we doing? Decision time. So I needed a job. My job was good. So I said, well, we're going to have to let people go. And he said, fine, then you're finally going to have to learn this job. And my father held me to it. Took my car away, took my credit card away, took me from the outside, brought me inside, and I had to learn the family business. We had to let three people go that day for the fat, drunk, and stupid kid, the boss's kid. You want to talk about carrying a heavy weight that weighed very heavy on me, very, very heavy on me. I grew up that day. I grew up that day. I learned the family business. I got pretty good at it. Actually, I got really good at it. I learned it very well. I became one of a young, a young guy in an older gentleman's industry. This is bearings, power transmission equipment, pumps, motors. I got very good at it. I'm still young. I'm, I'm going to be 47 in two weeks, and I'm a young guy in this industry. We built that business. I helped my father scale and build that business once I went all in on it. That's where my friend Pat Sharkey comes in because eventually we sold the business. So about five years ago now, we sold the business to a competitor. My father semi-retired. He still can't retire fully, so he still works part-time for us. I work as a salesman for them outside of National Fire Radio. And now I work for somebody else, and I love it because I sleep really well at night these days. But I hit 40 years old. Right before the sale of the company, um, I came to a crossroads. I realized that in a family business, I'm the youngest of three sons and my father, and we all worked for the business. And I was the guy that was making all the decisions. I was the guy that was running the day-to-day. -day. I'm the youngest of three brothers, and I'm in charge. That's not easy. Not easy at all. And in fact, my two brothers are also in the firehouse with me. So my life was always around family. It's hard because now the last thing you want to do is have a barbecue with them. The last thing you want to do is have a holiday with them because all you do is see them all the time. So I came to a crossroads, 40 years old. I looked at my wife and I said, I'm getting burned out at the family business. I don't know if I want to continue to do this. I feel like I missed my calling with the fire service, being a career fireman. And my wife looked at me and said, what do you want to do about it? And I said, well, I think the fire service is missing. I think there's a disconnect. I'm watching a lot of older guys leave the firehouse, taking all their experience and stories with them because they're disgruntled and pissed off. 20, 25, 30, 35 years in the fire service, the last two or three years, there's a disconnect, a communication. They're pissed off at management. Management's pissed off at them. They got union infighting. The volunteers didn't vote for them. The, it goes on and on. It doesn't matter what department, what company you're in, this shit happens. And what happens is a decorated 20, 25, 30 year career gets overshadowed by three years of bitterness or anger. They leave the job and they take everything with them. 
in a career where we need to pass it along. And so I said to my wife, I said, the fire service is missing. The institutions that are out there that are paying it forward aren't paying it forward the right way anymore. They've put friction in the system. They've built friction because they're requiring firefighters to go find the information instead of what we're supposed to be doing in the fire services, paying it forward, giving it to them. And so I said, I think I want to start a podcast where I can just, because I'm a talker. I'm a storyteller. I like to listen. I talk a lot. I actually listen more, believe it or not. My friends won't tell you that. They'll tell you, Pat will, Pat won't tell, Pat will tell you, I, I don't shut the fuck up. Excuse my language. I don't shut up. But I actually listen more. And that's how National Fire Radio got started. My wife looked at me and said, well, then you go do what you think you need to do. And in typical Jeremy fashion, I don't do anything small. So I went all in. I created the podcast capturing the stories of the senior man in perpetuity. That's what it's all about, paying it forward. So I came to a crossroads. It was time for a change. Things happen in funny ways. We were able to sell the company. It gave my father an out. I had zero ownership in the family business. I didn't collect a dime on the sale of the company. It was all about my father. I felt indebted to my father. I worked for the family business because I felt indebted to my father. I owed him for the upbringing he gave me, for the education he gave me, for the years he let me be a slacker. And then he finally held me accountable. Huge life lessons there for me, huge. So when his National Fire Radio started hitting on it, and that's exactly what it was. It was a change in my life, 40 years old. I need a change. I love the fire service. What can I do to get back to it? It's very hard to start over in a career fire job unless I go down south. I can go work in Carolina tomorrow. I can go work in Texas. They're hiring like crazy and there's no age restrictions. I'd love to do that, but my family's rooted. My kids are rooted. So I can't go do that. I can't take my salary today in New Jersey and take it down and make $35,000, $37,000 years of starting career farming. It just can't happen. I don't care how much your passion and love for it is. I just can't do it. So I found another avenue where I can give back, where I can find my niche in the fire service, where I think I can tell stories, broker conversations, and light a fire under the fire service again to get excitement about the job going and paying it forward. And so that's what National Fire Radio is all about. And then it grew from there. It was a podcast capturing the stories of the senior man in perpetuity, forever. Once we document it, they can leave, but we still have their stories. Storytelling is so important in the fire service. It matters. That front bumper talk, that back tail talk, that kitchen table talk, that stuff matters more than we all know. From there, it scaled because I don't do anything small, like I said. And so from a podcast, it turned into a social media platform. Social media platform turned into a media marketing company. I work with some of the largest manufacturers in the American Fire Service doing media scopes for them, marketing projects, explaining to them how to sell to firefighters. See, the funny thing is, is the largest multi-million dollar companies, 500, $1 billion companies in the fire service, big apparatus manufacturers, their marketing departments are made up of people that aren't firemen. So how the hell do they know how to sell? How do they know how to brand and market? And so we found a niche in that, and that is a big part of what we do. So a lot of what we do with National Fire Radio is not even seen. A lot of it is behind the scenes working with a lot of manufacturers, a lot of fire departments and things like that. There's a, lot, there's a word up here, authenticity. You're gonna hear that today a couple times. From the get, the only way this was gonna work for me was being 100% transparent and 100% authentic. 
And I think that's what fuels the success of what National Fire Radio is today. It's because I don't pull any bullshit. We don't embellish. I don't embellish my history, my career, who I am. I'm proud to be a volunteer fireman. I'm talking to a room full of paid guys, probably. There's probably only a couple volunteers in here. So a lot of guys could be like, oh, turned off by it. That's fine, but it's my story. But I still love the job just as much as you, if not more. And so if we can get past that paid volunteer thing, we can find common ground because, again, that job doesn't discriminate. That job doesn't care who you are. That job just wants to burn, and it's our job to put it out. Authenticity matters, and I challenge all of you in your firehouses, in your fire companies, in your personal life, be authentic, be transparent, be a good person. Community and delivery, we're all about community. I think community matters. Community matters more than anything. We need to build a positive atmosphere and a good community. National Fire Radio prides itself on that. We build a podcast community. We build a social media community. We're always trying to pay it forward through our content. We're always trying to educate and better the fire service, whether it's a simple conversation or a picture of an apparatus. Whatever we're doing, there's intent behind it. There's an intent to make the job better. Um, This one is important to me. 16 to 36. And this is where this conversation goes. It's a generational conversation between young and old. And that's really where this program heads now. We need to look at the next generation in a positive light. I don't care what your feelings are. I don't care about any of that. But this job has to continue forward. It's never going to be the same or it's never going to be what it was. It's always evolving and changing. And that goes in any industry, not just the fire service. And so we need to... We need to really look at our younger generation because they are the future. They are the decision makers. And we can say whatever we want about it, but there's finger pointing in both directions. But we have to embrace them. We have to find ways to get through to them. We have to find ways to talk with them, work with them, educate them about the traditions, the foundation of the job, because we do need to push this job forward. It's all of our responsibility to do so. Fully transparent, 100% authentic. Very proud of that. I stand by that. And in fact, any of the personalities or guys that we bring on have to be that way. I've had a couple guys pitch me on different ideas, and I just didn't feel it through them. We have different personalities, different shows. This year, actually, there's going to be a lot of new things coming out. We're going to have a, a, a live weekly variety show that's coming out that is going to represent so many different things about the fire service. It's, it's a fun time, and we're allowed to take permissions now with the community that we've built. And so now we're really going to go after it this year. And I'm excited for that. But we have to be transparent and authentic. It's the only way it works, and it's the only way people can have buy-in. The job. I mentioned it before. We all do it. So today, in my presentation, I talk about the job. On the podcast, I talk about the job. It's the job. You can break down what a job is. You get paid for it. You don't get paid for it. Whatever. It's a job. I don't care. Again, the job doesn't discriminate. So today, when I talk about the job, it's the job. The fire service. Going to fires. I love going to fires. I can't get enough of them. We all do it. And I'm guilty. Everything I say up here today, I'm guilty of. I violated every single thing I talk about in this program. We all do. Every single day. Not one of us can walk that straight line every single day. I have good days. I have bad days. I have days I'll get out of bed. I have days I don't want to get out of bed. There's days I I yell at my kids. I yell at my wife. There's days that I'm mush. That's reality. So let's talk in reality. So I'm guilty about everything in this program today. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. The greatest generation. 
1901 to 1925. So the way this program goes, I'm gonna break down the next couple generations now so you guys understand, you get a little background on them, you understand where they came from because it all comes together, I hope, in the program between young and old and finding those gaps and why there's a disconnect. And that's what a lot of these slides have to do with now. The greatest generation is the World War II, right? A lot of them are soldiers that, you know, a lot of uh, people in this generation fought in World War II. They didn't spend money, they were very frugal. It was a generation of hardworking people. They were impacted by the Great Depression. And so they didn't have much, they didn't come from wealth and excitement, they came from dark times. And then they got put into a war and they come home to better our sense of pride and ownership of the United States. The silent generation, 1925 to 1945. So right now, 78 to 98. This is my father's generation. Um, they're the smallest generation because they were impacted by the Great Depression and World War II. So it's the smallest generation. Uh, McCarthy era government, so they didn't speak out on social issues. They were in line, they were conformists. They, they followed the letter of the law. They didn't get loose. They were conservative and they're working within the system, the confines of the system. So this is a generation that put their head down and worked hard. The boomers, 46 to 64, ages 59 to 77. Still got these guys in the firehouse, okay? I mean, the, you know, the silent generation too, we have silent generation guys probably in the volunteer firehouses. Baby boomers we still have in the career departments. Hopefully, we still have some that are sharing their knowledge and experience. Ages 59 to 77, they're the most relevant generation in modern society. They're hardworking people. They're the, probably the first entrepreneurs, if you will. They're hardworking people. They're independent, often misunderstood. A lot of times they're compared to like millennials because they're just a little bit misunderstood. Um, integral and present for many of the technology advances in the last 50 years, that's important and that's gonna go to my generation, Generation X, and I'll get to that in a moment, but that's an important part of the conversation. Generation X, that's my generation. It is obviously the best generation. The Breakfast Club, you guys familiar? Please tell me, somebody here knows the Breakfast Club? Okay, cool, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, guys, the other thing too, don't be afraid to talk, shout out a question. You have anything you wanna add? I'd love to hear it. I'm a, I like to work that way, so please. Um, 65 to 79, 44 to 58, I'm gonna be 47 this year. Graduated high school in 95, should have graduated college in 99, went to 2000 because I was having a good time. I knew the, I, thank you for the laugh, you're probably the same age as me. Um, I, knew life before the internet, and I obviously know life after the internet. So my first email address, to put it in perspective, my first email address was my freshman year of college. I was cruising the AIM chat rooms looking for divorced moms, single women. I mean, that's what it was, man, right? It was like, you know, open season. I mean, that's what it was. So the internet, AOL, like if you remember dial-up, it was crazy times. This was this whole new world that opened up to us but I knew life before phones. I knew life before video game systems. We had Nintendo and Sega. I didn't have power, you know, uh, I don't even know, I'm not a big video game guy. PlayStation and, and, you know, Xbox, we didn't have any of that. We didn't understand that, you know? I was playing Excitebike and, and you know, like Mindhunter, like things like that. I wasn't playing these games of today. So what we find with my generation 
is we're the guys that typically can bridge that gap because we had our feet in both ponds. We understand before technology, the advancement in the internet, phones, things like that, but we also live that every single day now. What I found for myself was a lot of times in the firehouse, and I still do it today more than ever now, I was always that guy that would take the old guy and the young kid and put them together. See, I grew up in the firehouse, right? I knew all the old guys. I looked at these guys like they were giants. I would come into the firehouse and just like stand there and look at the, the back and forth, the relationship, the ball busting, the way they talked to each other. And then as soon as those tones dropped, man, they went to work. And I was so impressionable by that. I was so impressioned by them. They were giants. They were pillars. And as a kid, that's all I remember are guys like Bruce Setter, Kevin Clays, like guys that were larger than life in the firehouse. And that left such an impact on me that I wanted to be them. It was an amazing time. It was so impressionable for me. So I find it important that I knew their stories. I knew who they were. I knew where they came from. I know the fires they went to. I know their stories. I tell their stories today. They're long gone. I tell those stories today, but I'm also that guy that grabs the 18-year-old kid and drags him over here and says, you got to talk to him. you got to tell him this story, and you need to listen. We need to bridge that gap. We need to make that connection. Now more than ever, it requires us to work harder to make that bridge to make that happen. So my generation, we serve as a bridge so other, so other generations can connect because we're familiar with that. We understand it. Millennials often misunderstood. Uh, quite common, like my father. My father's like, damn millennials. I'm like, you don't even know what a millennial is. Right? He's 81 years old. He's blaming millennials. I go, who's a millennial? I go, how old are they? He's like, you know, those young kids. Like, Dad, this is, this is a big problem. It's a misconception. Millennials are born from 80 to 94. So millennials are 29 to 43. If you ask most older people how old's a millennial, they're like 25, 22. They're millennials, right? We blame everything on them. When, in fact, they're often understood, mislabeled. They're always blamed for stuff. And to be honest with you, millennials are a very hardworking group of people. Their focus is different, though. It's a different type of hard work. Generation Z, 95 to 2012, 11 to 28. My kids are there. I got three kids in that group. I got an older son. I'm going to give you my family breakdown in a minute. They're exposed to social media. They're the first generation to deal with cyberbullying and internet-related issues. First generation to truly deal with school violence, which is crazy because growing up, for most of us, that was never a thing. There were fist fights. And fistfights wasn't even suspension when I went to school. It was like they broke them apart, they'd put them in in-school detention, and they're back in class the next day. This is a different world today. And so a lot of times where we find the misconnect, the dis or the disconnect, it's because we're holding ourselves to values we remember or values that we lift up, but they're not reality today. They don't reflect on today's generation, good or bad, it's not today. So we have to be real in our conversations and approach. Generation Z, they're dealing with a lot of things that I didn't deal with. So of course they're going to be different. Gen Alpha, 2013 to 25, 0 to 10, youngest generation of uh, youngest generation United States. This is interesting. First generation to be born with parents who grew up with the internet, cell phones, tablets, social media. Think about that. 
They don't know any better. So when we go out to dinner and we laugh at that couple, now no offense, some of you younger guys might have younger kids and you plop an iPad in front of them at the table and their kids on their headphones. I don't know if that's right or wrong. In my world, I, think it's, I don't think it's right. But I grew up that way. But now the parents of Gen Alpha kids, they're the first generation to have tablets and computers and the internet in front of them. That's all they know. They walk with their head down. I walk with my head up. I look around, I engage, I look at people. I smile at people. They're always busy. Those are the ones, you ever see the videos where they're walking in the mall and they fall in the fountain because they're on their phone? It's hilarious, I love it. Anyway, but that's that generation, right? So the kids that they're raising are obviously gonna feed off the parents and what they know. I'll give you a little story. My wife and I, we have four kids. Michael, Kendra, Paige, and Lily. Michael's 30, Kendra's 28, Paige is 17, Lily's going to be 16 this February. 30 and 28, Michael and Kendra are my stepkids, but they've been mine since they were five and six. So they're my kids. My wife and I have been together for a long time. My wife had them very early on in a previous marriage. They became my kids at five and six. They're still my stepchildren, but they're mine. I don't, there's no distinction between any of my kids. Michael lives in Hoboken, New Jersey, which is a, 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 a small city right across the river from New York City. He works in New York City. Super successful and professional. He's going to be 30. He just got engaged. I'm super happy for them. Michael and Jenny will be married this year. Kendra's 28, runs a very successful gym. Uh, went to school for kinesiology, fitness. She's an incredible kid. Had to overcome a lot of diversity. She has uh, dyslexia. Had to deal with that her whole life. She still deals with it in a professional life, but found ways around it. And I'm very proud of her. She's an incredible kid. My 17-year-old Paige, she's a junior this year, just got her license last month. It's freaking me out that she's like, I'll be back, Dad, and jumps in a car and drives away by herself. Freaks me out. Um, she's an incredible kid, incredibly talented, artist, um, very talented with her hands. Her creativity is just leaps and bounds ahead of, of anything I could ever imagine. And my daughter, Lily, it reads 700 pages a week. She's a voracious reader, super smart. Um, just an incredible kid. Uh, she's gonna be 16 and she's a sophomore. Um, I am blessed. I am 100% blessed. I have a beautiful wife who is my rock at home that lets me travel, lets me do things like this. I travel all over the country, guys. Between now and like the end of March, I'm gonna be in like eight different states doing programs, conferences, all different projects. I travel a ton these days. Um, she's my rock at home. The point of all that is, because I want to give you just my backstory, right? The point of that is my wife and I, because we came from Gen X, we, we don't like phones at the table. Pat's been out with my family, right? Pat's a friend. My, he comes from my professional life. The company that bought us, that acquired my family business, Pat worked for them and still does, obviously, and we have a professional relationship there, but he's become a friend. Um, he has seen my family. He sees my kids. He knows my kids. Um, when we go out, we keep Uno cards in my wife's purse. And as a family, from 30 down to 16, when we go to breweries, restaurants, because that's what we like to do on the weekends, that's how we get back together after a crazy week. We like to have Sunday fun day. We don't, bring our, we don't take our phones out. My, 15, my 16 and 17-year-old kids aren't on their phones when we're together. We're playing Uno. We're engaging. That's important. But my point of all that is it takes work. My wife and I know it takes work. I'm proud and lucky 
But I know that a lot of how my kids are and who they are today is because of the hard work we put in parenting them. It's the same thing at the firehouse. We have to put the work in. The work matters. The problem is a lot of us are getting lazier and lazier. Things are coming easier and easier. And so why are we going to work harder and harder? It's easier to put that iPad in front of that kid and then we can point fingers as outsiders and go, man, I can't believe they do that. And then as soon as you turn around, you're with your wife and then you're on your phone. It's hard to look in a mirror. It's hard to break it down. We like to point fingers. We like to look. We like to jest. We like to talk about other people. We like to say, look at that kid with his headphones on in the restaurant. That's crazy. I don't even get it. And then you turn around and you're on your phone. I don't know. I don't know what's right and wrong. I don't know how we get to judge. What I know is how I want to run my house. How I know is how I want to raise my family. How I know is I want to raise the guys in my firehouse and give them the foundation and tools to use them to the benefit of the fire company, the mission over me. We're going to get to that. <clears throat> what we all share in common, though, is one thing. We're generation firefighter. Whether it's the world's greatest generation, the World War II vets, to Gen Alpha and everybody in between, if you're in the fire service, we have one common theme. We're all in the fire service. We're firefighters. And when those tones drop, that engine and truck go out the door, we have a job to do. And it doesn't matter how old, what color, what religion, what your personal problems are. All that shit stops at that door, at that threshold. Because we have a job to do. And the people that we serve and the people that we go out for, the people that we're there to protect, don't give a shit about anything else. They just care that we show up and do our job. So the boss riding in the front seat to the senior chauffeur to the guy riding backwards, 18, 54, and 36. There's no difference between the three of them, right? We're all the same person because we're generation firefighters. We're all firefighters. So age doesn't matter. None of it matters. So why does it matter then when the truck's not going out the door? Why do we make an issue of it when we're sitting at the table? Why do we make an issue of it as soon as we leave the firehouse, we're on our phone bad talking, bullshitting about one of the guys or something that happened? Are we not willing to put the work in? I don't know. Understanding and mutual respect goes a very, very long way. Old, middle, thank you, I'm still middle, young. Age doesn't matter. This sound familiar? Shut up, old man. I've heard that story a thousand times. Joe, I don't want to hear it anymore. Joe's over here telling his story, and you're like, tired of it. You're outdated. You don't know. <laughs> Stupid kid. Always asking why. Why do these guys have to ask why? Why do they have to know everything? Can't they just blindly trust the system? Can't they blindly trust me? I don't know. Because they grew up in a different generation. Maybe they grew up in a generation where they were taught mistrust of the system. Maybe the system's letting them down. Maybe our fire departments are letting our people down. We ever think of that? We like to think that we want everything from our people. We require unconditional faith and love of the fire department. We need everything from our people, whether volunteer or career, when they walk through the door. We need everything from them. Does the fire department give them everything back in return? Is it a mutual relationship? Or maybe there is some distrust built in because they've been burned, they've been hurt. It's real conversations. That's what we need to have. And so whether it's shut up old man or stupid kid, there's a disconnect. There's a disconnect. We all have in common, we love to blame. 
Looking in that mirror is super hard. I have it. This morning, you get up in the hotel and you get in the shower and you're still half asleep. You get out of the shower, you're awake, you slide open the curtain and there's that big ass mirror standing in front of you, right? And then it's like, whoa, not only do you like, well, I shouldn't have had that last night, right? You look like hell. But you also have to look inside yourself. That mirror is right there blaring at you. You're looking in the mirror. Do you like what you see? Can you even look at yourself in that mirror? I know a lot of people that live double lives. I know a lot of people that say one thing and do another. I see it and hear it all the time. Again, I'm guilty of it. I'm not standing here preaching. What I am saying, though, is have honest conversation with yourself. Are you the person that you portray yourself to be? And we're going to get into that. We all share this in common. We love to blame. If you want to blame anyone, blame me. I'll take the blame for the whole American fire service. I don't care. Because the deal is this, right? We could blame each other, or let's find a third party to blame. It's even easier. Because when we blame each other, then there's infighting, we're fighting this and that. But if we can find commonality, let's blame the third party. So blame me. Blame the cell phone. Blame social media, the dreaded cell phone. Since it's arrived, the job's changed. I hear it all the time. That cell phone ruined the fire service. I remember years ago sitting in a, a chief's meeting, and a chief is blaming social media for the downfall of the American fire service. And I'm like, I'm sitting there, and I'm, listen, there's probably guys in this room that feel the same way. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, okay. Why? Because, like, somebody has to put the information into social media. So social media is just a new extension, a new way to communicate. It's no different than you picking up the phone, calling your buddy and bitching and moaning. It's just on a bigger scale. Why don't we start holding people accountable, not platforms accountable? It comes down to the individuals, how they handle themselves, what they do. They're responsible. It's not the platform. But if you want to blame the platform, blame me. Blame you know, platforms like National Fire Radio, where we're 100% authentic and transparent. The problem is you can't blame me because we're putting out good things into the job. We're creating betterment for the job. So you can't. So now you need to start refocusing and saying, maybe it's not a platform. Maybe it's the individual. Embrace it. <clears throat> we want to blame it. We want to vilify it. <clears throat> Why don't we embrace it? When we embrace it, we can control it. We can put parameters to it. We can make it work in our favor. If you find guys who are disconnected in the firehouse, we're building firehouse. I just had this conversation yesterday. I was up in Brockton spending uh, a, lot of, a lot of the day with Chief Nardelli up there, who's become a dear friend. I mean, what a great guy. And he's a, he's a fireman's chief. I mean, he's for his people. It's fun to watch the conversations we had in the firehouses yesterday with his guys and how he's just so in on his people. It's infectious, right? But he's talking about the build of a new firehouse. They're talking about individual dorm rooms instead of a dormitory. They're talking about where guys are going to be able to disappear into their own little nooks and crannies now. Not like the old firehouses that are just big open rooms where everybody has to be together. We can't allow things like that to affect what we need and want out of this. If you create an environment of excitement, if you create an environment in which we promote the mission over the individual, they will come. We're going to talk about that a little bit more on a couple of these slides. So embrace it. Embrace today because it's not going anywhere. Social media is not going anywhere. Podcasts aren't going anywhere. Streaming services have taken over national cable television. More people stream than have cable. 
these days, believe it or not. Things aren't going to regress. They're progressing. So you have to get on board. And if the people that don't choose to get on board are the ones that are having the struggles. They're being left behind at a pace today that nobody's ever seen before. The advancement in technology, the advancement in how we operate, the advancement of our lives, it's faster today than it's ever been. You have to get on board. And if you get on board, you can then be involved. And if you're involved, you can make and choose how we forge our paths. Why the disconnect? We're going to go over a bunch of things. Foundation, morals, ethics, values, communication, lack of understanding, which is respect, uh, patience, environment, and much, much more. The and much, much more was my 10 o'clock edition last night because I threw in more slides last night. My wife and I chose to have a, a, a dry January. I don't know why. We just chose to do it. And so, you know, usually the night before, if I'm in town, I'll go to the, you know, I'll have dinner, have a drink or two, go up to the room, chill out, go to bed. Last night, I didn't have any, I drank seltzer. And then I get back to my room and I'm like fired up. And so what do I do? I bang out more slides and get back into the program and get excited about it. It's fun. And so anyway, so I included some more things into this program last night. Everything starts with the foundation, right? Solid versus shaky, right? You're building a home. I'm not a, I'm not a carpenter. I'm not a contractor. But I sure know this. If your home is built on a shaky foundation, it's going to crumble. You're going to have cracks. It's gonna, you're going to have problems. We need to start on a solid foundation, brick by brick, block by block by block. But the ground in which the foundation is built, we could build the most solid cinder block foundation, but if the ground below it is shaky, we're in trouble. So that goes from like municipality to the fire chief's office to the rank and file, right? Ground, foundation, everything above it. And so my point is with that, there's gonna be times where the foundation is shaky what do we do about it? We fix it. And if we don't, and we don't address a shaky foundation, an unsolid ground, the problem always compounds and gets worse. And so foundation matters. The chief's office, the message coming out of there, consistency, it matters. The company bosses, the information, the way they discipline, the way they hold themselves and hold their people, it matters. How firefighters look, act, we care about the job, it matters. All of it reflects on the job, on the mission. And so we need to make sure that we're on solid ground and a solid foundation. All of our roots can be different, but the mission is the same. When the mission is the mission, when we put that in front of ourselves, we will win. Morals, ethics, and values, never sacrifice them for anyone else. You have your own, and your morals, ethics, and values are built on what you've learned, what you know, what you read, who you're around, who you want to be with. We could break down all of these moral standards or behaviors, beliefs concerning what is or not acceptable for individuals, ethics, moral principle, governed individuals' behaviors and conducts and values, things you believe are important in the way you live and work. Finding commonality, finding the middle ground takes work. Doing the right thing is always doing the right thing. The problem is, is doing the right thing typically takes work, and doing the right thing typically makes you uncomfortable. In situations where you have to make the right decision, in situations where you have to do the right thing, and it's hard, or you're going to face a lot of backlash, sometimes it's easier to shrink away and not do the right thing. But doing the right thing is always doing the right thing. Don't ever sacrifice that. 
Don't ever sacrifice your morals, ethics, or values for someone else. Believe in who you are. Believe in the person that you are. Believe in the experience that you had. Everything you've done leading up to that point where you have to do the right thing has made you and allowed you to make the right decision. Communication. I love that. Communication. Talking for the sake of talking, God, we have those guys. Am I one of them? Maybe. I like to think there's a message in what I say, though, right? Um, a lot of talking and communication, I said it earlier, we can talk all we want, but are you listening? Everybody has an opinion. Does your opinion truly matter? Probably not. On social media, we'll put up posts. This, I was actually having this conversation on the way here this morning with a buddy of mine, called me, he said, hey, good luck today. You know, we talk every day, he's like my best friend. Um, called me, we were talking about some business stuff, some things we're working on. He knew I was up early because I was doing this. Called me real quick, he's in Missouri, so he's an hour behind, he's, he's a workaholic. So he called me, we're working on some projects together. He says, good luck today, we're going over a few things. And I said, you know what's great? I said, we, I posted, we post all the time, we probably do across all mediums with National Fire Radio, from podcast to all social media platforms, uh, and everything else that we do, we probably do upwards of 300 to 500 posts a month. Wild, right? It's like the number's numbing. Um, we're capturing attention. We're bringing content to the firefighters, so I don't get to post once a day. If I wanna make an impact and tell our story and get our message across, it needs to be prevalent at any time of the day for you, and I hope that we're in most of your feeds every single day. I said to him, I said, it's unbelievable how people think their opinions matter. Now, we're in this room, every single one of you, because it's not a big crowd, I can engage each of you and I value your opinion, I respect your opinion, but does your opinion matter? Maybe, maybe if I believe in it, it matters, but I can also dismiss it, but I could do that with respect and grace, right? And so I said to him, I said, my favorite thing on social media these days, it's great because the trolls are amazing. I have, we have trolls all the time. It's just, it's social media. I love them. They fuel me to do more. They fuel me to be better. And I also like to give it back a little bit too every once in a while. A lot of times I'm quiet with them. My most passive aggressive thing is like when they say something, I'll just, I'll send them a direct message, not even in the comments. I'll send them a direct message and I'll just say, I'm really sorry, man. I'll try better next time. They don't know what to say. You get nothing back in return, right? These guys think their opinions matter. They think that their experience and knowledge is better than all of ours. I have people commenting on fire apparatus that they've never seen before, set up for the way that that first do works, and yet the internet guys know better how that engine should be set up. It's freaking mind-boggling. It's awesome. I'm like, man, you guys are incredible. You're all the way in California, and you know how they work in Bellingham, Massachusetts? It's incredible. Like, I value, thank you. Thank you. You are, thank you. You, you have solved the world's problems for me. It's wild, right? People think that that matters. It gives them the ability, social media, the ability to disconnect, to remove yourself one removal over so I don't have to say it to you anymore. I'll just send it to you passive aggressively. That's a part of life. Let's get over it and move on. Let's embrace that and say, man, what a loser. I talk about losers. I talk about losers all the time because the world's full of them. We have winners and losers. That's it. What team do you want to play for? Who do you want to be? 
This is something, this is the new slide I put in last night. This one and the next one. Um, I'm finding this more and more. I'm witnessing this myself. And again, I'm guilty of everything I do here. I'm guilty. I've dismissed plenty of people when they start talking to me. I know better. And in this polar world we live in today with politics, blue, red, Trump, Biden, whatever you want. I'm not even going down that road. But we've become so polar that we're unwilling to even listen to people anymore. Now, there's a time and place in the fire service. If you're wrong, you're wrong. And your boss is going to tell you. Your senior guy is going to pull you aside. Delivery matters, and we're going to get into that. But when you're wrong, you're wrong. In the fire service, you don't get a chance sometimes to be like, but, 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 but. No. No, it's wrong. You fucked up. We're going to talk about this. We'll address it later. That's okay. That's part of how we operate. That's who we are. I, I, shot, I shot some comments at a kid the other night at a fire. It wasn't even a fire. It was a smoke condition in the basement of the home. The uh, electrical panel burned up. I get there like third due. Come down the stairs, turn the corner. There's a kid in there that didn't belong in there. I look at him I'm like, you, get the fuck out. He looks at me and I'm like, get out. You don't belong in here. He's a young kid. He's a probationary guy. He wasn't supposed to be in a basement. It's smoke. I'm like, get out. I thought he was going to cry. I don't think anybody's ever spoken to him like that before. He's like a 19-year-old kid, 18-year-old kid. I don't think anybody's ever spoken to him like that. I was short. I was gruff. I was curt. I wasn't kind. But he knew better, and I knew it. And I was pissed about it. So what I found was 20 years ago, that would have been the end of the conversation. We would have gotten over it, went back to the firehouse, he would have moped around, and then like on the next time I see him at the firehouse or something, we would have been okay. Now you have to like go up to him in the street. So afterwards we mitigate the issue, the electrical panels all burned up, we vent the house, blah, blah, blah. Go out to the street, break it down, take my pack off, throw my shit back in the engine. And I see the kid like walking with his head down, I walk over and I'm like, hey, come here. He said, yeah. I said, you know better. He's like, no, I don't. And I'm like, stop. I'm like, I know how I approached, I don't know how exactly I said it, but I had, to, I had to follow up with him so that he understood there's no hard feelings. This is a game of making decisions. Firefighting is not a democracy. It's not. Maybe around the kitchen table, maybe after the fact we can talk about it, and maybe your opinion will matter at that point. But when we have a job to do and there's decisions that have to be made, it's not society. This is a job that requires tough decisions to be made and we have rules to follow. When we don't follow the rules, shit happens. So we have to hold people accountable. But I found from 20 years ago to today, I had to handle that situation two different ways. We used to give it to them and walk away from it. Now we give it to them and now we have to circle back and make sure it's packaged. What does that take? More work. Are you willing to put in that work? It's not his fault. Maybe he's never been talked to that way before. I don't think he was, because I thought he was going to cry. When I was 18, 19 years old, I was considered a grown man. I like to think that the kids coming through the firehouse today, 18, 19, 20, 25 years old, are men. Women. People that are an adult that can handle themselves. Emotionally, it's a little bit different. When you talk about the greatest generation, how those gentlemen carried themselves during the war years of the American Fire Service. You think their feelings mattered? 
Those guys would hit themselves in the hand with a hammer and keep moving. Today, we'd have guys go out for weeks, months, can't ride the fire truck anymore for a couple of weeks. I got a bruise. Like, that's the difference today. It's softer. That's not a shot. It's just who we've become. There's a difference, but we have to understand to promote this job and push this job forward, we have to understand those differences between the way it was and where we are today. And we can vilify where we are today and rest our laurels on where we were yesterday, but it's not going to get us anywhere to the future. We have to be real about that conversation. This guy, Joe, I don't, I don't know him. I mean, this guy was on Google, so I, I brought him into my firehouse, right? Joe likes to tell that story. In the volunteer fire service and even in the career firehouse, when guys retire, 30-year career, and they leave, that's all they had. Think about it. And then they leave. What are we doing for them? Do we welcome them back? Do we want them to come have coffee? Do we want to hear their stories? Does the next generation, the younger guys sitting at that table, even know who he is? Do we welcome them back? And that was what I was talking about before, bridging that gap sharing their stories so their stories and experience lives on. This guy's like, I read the quick story of the bio on this guy. He's like 92 years old. They still let him have a leather helmet and a jacket. He's still allowed to hop on the rig in the volunteer house if, if he wants to go for a ride. Where's the hurt? Where's the harm? Think about what that does for him. It ignites his spirit. It keeps him moving. It makes him excited about coming down to the firehouse. Entertain him. Ask him to tell that story again. Ask those questions. Is your time so critical and so important that you can't give him five minutes of your time to retell a story? I'm guilty of all this, guys. I don't hang out at the firehouse like I used to in the volunteer firehouse. I don't, I don't have the time. I'm on the go. I need to tell myself to stay. Stay five, ten minutes. Have a cup of coffee. Go down there on Sunday morning. Show your face. Let the guys see you. Tell a story. We have to do this. It's part of what this is. We need to embrace these guys. Pull someone new into the conversation. Frank, do you know Joe? Have you met him? He's a freaking legend here. Guys, get together. Have a cup of coffee. It takes work. I challenge you to put the work in. Stop dismissing each other. Are the senior guys, the older guys, dismissing the younger kids? All the time. I see it all the time. See, the problem is it's a two-way street. The problem is the older guys are pissed off at the younger guys, and the younger guys are pissed off at the older guys, and yet you both do the same exact shit. Let's have real conversations. The old guys, maybe the young kid has a point. Why don't you give them a half a second to say it? We're cutting them off so fast, and I'm doing it. I swear to God, I do it just as much as everyone else. And then I'm like, my program talks about this. What are you doing? Fully transparent. I'm 100% real, guys. I have good days and bad days. There's days I don't want to hear from my 17-year-old daughter about why this is important, because I just know better. But maybe I should just take a half a second and give her the respect and listen to her, even when I know she's wrong. See, I'm the type of father that wants his kids to fall down. I want my kids to scrape their knee. I don't want to wrap them in bubble wrap. I want them to have adversity in their life. I want them to have struggles. It's important because it makes them who they are. 
But the one thing we can do is help them along the way. Give them an opportunity. If they want to ask why, answer them. I'm not saying, why do we have to ventilate this window, cat? Meanwhile, the place is chugging, right? Why do we have to put a line in here, cat? That's not the time. It's understanding where it fits in. But if it's outside of where critical decisions have to be made in a timely fashion, give them the respect and entertain their why. Here's what I find. A lot of times guys get threatened by the why because they don't know themselves. That's a fun conversation. I love being a fly on the wall and a kid asks one of the older guys why, and he's like, because we've always done it that way. And I'm like, yeah, but Bob, why have we always done it that way? Maybe he makes a good point. Maybe this is a fresh perspective. It's a kid that never, didn't grow up in a firehouse, came from a banker's home. He's a white-collar kid that's given everything, but maybe he's got a point. Maybe he's got fresh perspective. Or are we that closed-minded that we're not even willing to lend an ear because we know better? I can challenge you this. The kids today are smarter than we ever were. And they have some incredible ideas if you're willing to listen. Create an environment that allows them to be involved. When you shut them off, we shut it down. And the problem is, is you're going to be leaving in a few years and you've stunted their growth. Now what? What'd you do for the fire service? You stunted the growth of the fire service. I'm not saying that this is all sunshine and roses. I'm not saying that every kid brings all this value to the table. It's not what I'm saying. But what we can do is respect one another as human beings to give them the time and energy to at least hear them. Let's have debate. Let's not get so emotional. There's a, there's a slide later on, big letters, that says fact versus feeling. What are we actually arguing about? Are we arguing about fact or are we arguing your feelings? Hey, Pat, how are you? Good, man. How's everything? Good, man. Just busy. I'm so freaking busy. That's all we bitch about. Guys don't even complain about money anymore. Like when I talk to my friends, like don't get me wrong, I, I do pretty well in life. I'm comfortable. I'm happy. I'm content. I would always like to make more money. Of course, all of us would, right? Because we think money's freedom. Money's this. Money's that. But what are you finding today in conversation when you talk to people? They complain about time. Am I wrong? Everybody complains, oh, man, I'm so freaking busy. I'm running here. I got this. I got that. Yet we all seem to find time to do whatever we want to do, right? It's easy to brush off, ignore, and say no. We like to make excuses. When we say we're so busy, it's an excuse. We can always find the time for the things that we want to do. We need to invest time into our people. It's different today, obviously. I talked about that. Their focus is different. So we might have to even work harder, which takes more time. Are we willing to put the time in? Time. We hold time accountable today. Have a real conversation with yourself. Are you putting in the right amount of time for career or on the volunteer side? Are you putting in enough time to learn this job and to do it correctly? Don't overvalue your time. If you can watch every single episode of Yellowstone, if you can take time off to do whatever you want, then it's about prioritizing what you want to do. It's not time. It's prioritizing what's important to you. So have that real conversation. It's not that I'm so busy I can't put in more time at the firehouse. It's I'm choosing something else over that. 
I've prioritized myself, my wants, my desires, my needs over the firehouse. Put it in perspective. That's real conversation. We can blame time, fault time. Is it actually time's fault or is it yours because you prioritize something different? A couple of things you said, right? Hard conversation. How many guys are willing to have that hard conversation? Yeah, good. We need more of them, right? I get into that a little bit where we have to be, and again, we talk about consistency, and you can't be consistent when you're focused on yourself. When you're focused on the mission, you can then have consistency. Consistency creates an organization and culture and mindset that is one way, and that's forward, right? Hard conversations are difficult. Now more than ever, we're not willing to have them. We'd rather shy away. We'd rather change the rules, change a guideline in a volunteer firehouse, change an SOG or bylaw because one guy fucked up and we're not willing to address him. We're going to address the whole. And so now we're penalizing the whole and not the individual. Do we go there? Are we going? What do we got? Here we go. Jobs. If it's a job, I'm out. I'm going. I'm not going to that. No way. Nope. Nope. So we're going we're gonna to hop in. Brother, we're going to hop into that, man, because that, that was good. Thank you. I appreciate that. We're going to hop into that. There's a lot of things. I don't need to read it all to you, obviously. Um, you guys can, I hope most of you can read. Everyone wants to be right, and compromise is always hard. Fact versus feeling, right? Respect comes, <laughs> a little Aretha, no? All right. Comes from a place of understanding, showing care and interest in others. It's a two-way street. We need to stop dismissing people. Respect is earned. I love that saying, right? If you're, this, is, this is something I posted the other day. I got a lot of feedback on it. If you're looking for respect and asking for respect, you probably don't deserve it. These guys lack respect. They don't show me any respect. I'm like, because you're a piece of shit. It's pretty simple. Whether he's young or old, none of the guys show you respect because you don't, you don't deem it. You don't deserve it. What have you done for it? It takes work. If you're looking for respect and you're not getting it, look in the mirror. You're the problem. It's not the institution. It's not the kid. It's not the fire company. It's you. You're the problem. And I want to piggyback on that even further. As human beings, we should inherently have respect for one another from the get. That's why there where it says respect is earned, we should give people respect as they come in for being who they are. Now you have to work on maintaining it, right? It's easy to say, like, you're new, kid. Shut up and listen. You'll get your day, right? You're not giving them any respect when they come in the door. Give them the respect for one, wanting to be a firefighter, going through the training, coming in the door. We should all be giving them a sense of respect out of loyalty for the job. Give them that. It's like everything in this fire service, everything in life now has to be earned. It's like we dangle shit in front of people. And it's like, you can have this, but you got to do this, this, and this to get there. I have a slide that comes up that says, stop saying no. Say yes. We're a no society. We make people work for everything they need and want. Why can't we give our people things? With reason, within reason. Because when we give too much, obviously it creates entitlement and things like that. And we're going to get into that. That's one of the slides. But my point is this, right? And that's a great 
Absolutely, I love that. I'm, I'm going to steal that. Thank you. Probably put that in the program. But why can't we give respect out of the gate and then let them maintain it and let them build towards it? Why can't we do that? See, I love that, but I look at it a little bit differently, right? And I'll tell you why. They can come in the door. I give them all the respect in the world. The kid sits down, puts his feet up on the table. That respect's gone. The world's full of assholes. I'm surrounded by them. Spaceballs? I got to put that slide in here, right? Spaceballs, you know? Like, the world's full of assholes, right? How many assholes? Asshole, you know? Like, we're, we have them all over the place. Any profession, right? Any profession has good and bad, right? The best and the worst. I want to give everybody and afford everybody the opportunity. Now, trust me, this is an internal struggle for me that with age comes maturity. I still like to think I'm super immature, but I also found that I am a totally different person today going at 46 years old than I was at 26 or 36 or 16, right? And so when they come in the door, give them the respect. But that's why I said they have to keep it, maintain it, earn it, right? Build off of it. You could do, like, I did a, I did a, uh, a podcast. Oh, God. Um, oh, I can't. Uh, Andy Starnes. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Andy Starnes. Teaches thermal imaging all over the country. Premier guy in thermal imaging. He was on the podcast. He talks about deposits and withdrawals. It's like your bank account. You can only withdraw what you've deposited, right? So you can work off that. I think it's a great metaphor for what we're talking about is you have to put in to maintain and grow the respect and you can withdraw from that. And if you're withdrawing more, what happens? You create a deficit. You go in the red. When you're in the red, you're done. You can't do anything more. Deposits and withdrawals. So yeah, I agree with you, brother. I think, I think respect has to be earned. We do get guys that come in the firehouse that are cocky. We do get guys that come in that don't want to do or comply or, 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 um, or you know, maintain a certain way that we expect from them. I get that. Not everything's black and white. There's a ton of gray. Just like in this world, in the firehouse, there's a ton of gray. It's how we manage and handle that gray is really what matters. And that's a slide where I talk about the thirds. There's a third and a third and a third. We're going to get into that, which tackles all that. So this one here piggybacks to what I said before, authoritarian. Is it really respect if you're telling me you must respect me? No, you're telling me I have to respect you. There's no inherent respect built in then. It's not their fault. How many guys cut their own grass? Ooh, that's good. Under 30 years old in this crowd, how many guys are under 30? You guys cut your grass? You do, you do? Okay. Does he cut your grass? When he's home. That's good. You raised them right. You guys were raised right. Here's the thing, right? In my world, a lot of the kids, they don't know how to run a lawnmower. They haven't been taught. They don't do it. They have a landscaper. Somebody else handles it. They never had to run a chainsaw. They never had to cut up branches in the backyard, take a tree down. They never had to dig a hole. It's a different world. Firefighting is blue collar. There was this inherent belief and understanding that guys that were coming in through the door already had this skill set that they knew how to start an engine. They knew what two-cycle fuel was. They, I mean, shit, we don't even mix our own fuel anymore, right? So, I mean, like, we've taken, like, we're addressing that issue, right? But we have this inherent problem with now we have to do more. We have to educate further. 
We don't have people coming into your firehouses, into your departments with a skill set that we took for granted that most of us knew. Gen Alpha, Gen Z, they don't know combustion engines. What are we putting on our apparatus now? Battery. Why? Technology. Things are progressing. Our guys are stupid. They can't run, you know, they flood saws. Like, I mean, think about that, right? So we're creating this environment because technology advances. We started with battery fans. And we're like, oh, this is cool. Then we went to battery extrication equipment. That's cool. Like, we could do that. Yeah, okay. But we'll still keep a hydraulic one in the, with, the, with the pump just in case, you know, the electric, the battery doesn't work, right? Meanwhile, you guys spend your whole freaking day on this thing that runs on a battery. But when it comes to life safety, you know, the battery's not going to work. So we're going to have to keep that hydraulic unit in the, in the compartment. I get it. I'm fine. It's redundancy. Now we go... Now we go to saws, and, and like when the saws came out, it was like, whoa, 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 guys, battery-powered saws. What are we doing here? Forcible entry, ventilation, can we rely on bad? They're not going to have the same torque. They're not going to have the same cutting ability. We're going to run out. What do you do when you run out of a battery on the roof? Then what? And I'm like, what? Like, what happens when you choke the saw out in smoke? Like, how many guys have choked a saw out on a roof when it's puffing? Right? What do you do now? Right? Adversity. Figure it out. Overcome it. Right? We vilify new. We vilify things that are new to us. We don't understand. We can't, we can't grasp it until it's shown to us a thousand times over that it's okay. I love looking at these electric saws now. It's cool. Just on a tactical side, like the OV position, how nice is it to have a little cutoff saw that's a battery power to do window bars? right, to do entry on rear doors. The guy that's running around can remove these items very quickly without lugging a big K-12 with a carbide blade, right? Like, think about that. It's bettering the job. Easy web sling over your shoulder. The guy's carrying a small cutoff. Boom, boom, padlocks, bilco doors, window bars. I mean, it's fantastic, right? So it's making the job better. It's giving us a better tool to do our job. So. We're progressing forward. Technology's coming along with the generations that are coming into the firehouse. We're vilifying them because they can't run a chainsaw to cut up the tree that fell down on Mrs. Smith's power line after the power company cuts it, right? I'm not even talking about cutting a roof. I'm just talking about a simple, like, 14-inch bar chainsaw just to cut up a tree as a service call. And we're like, go, you know, go take care of it. He's like, oh, it's crazy. But. Is it his fault? Of course we will. We'll hold it against him on two, for two reasons. One, because we just want to hold it against him and bust his balls. But the other reason is like, oh, you should know. And then the next conversation is, yeah, but you never showed me. Or nobody ever took the time to explain. When we do our morning checks, I assume most of you guys do morning checks, right? Everybody should be competent with the equipment and the apparatus, right? So my point is this. We can teach and train. We'll show them how to run those saws because if they're going to take the roof position that day, they have to know it. We have to put the time in to educate. My point of this whole conversation to bring back around is it takes more work today because there's no framework from the get. Where they used to know how to choke a saw, start the saw, bring it back up, run it full, we're good to go. They've never even had a pull cord before. So we have to teach that part of it now, too. We have to go one step further. 
And what does that do? It takes work. Are we willing to put in the work? Do we have the patience to work with them, to put in more work? Or do we just want to sit there and blame and point fingers? Which route do you want to take? It's a two-way street, right? So we should be asking. We should have an environment that allows them to ask. That's part of the problem, too, right? Is if we don't have an environment that allows for that type of communication, we're faulting and, and we've created an environment that doesn't allow us to be conducive and good at our jobs because we're squashing, we're dismissing the question before they can even ask it. They're not going to ask it if they're going to get somebody to step on their balls, right? Excuse my language, right? They're not going to do it. Nobody's going to put themselves out there to be shut down by the senior guy in the firehouse. Engagement. Engagement matters. I love, I travel the country going to firehouses, talking to guys. I walk in the firehouses. A lot of the younger guys know who I am. It's just now we've gotten to that point where Really, anywhere in a country, we go to firehouses, and there's one or two guys that will know National Fire Radio. They recognize the voice, me, whatever, right? It's cool. Like, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. And it's fun because I start having those conversations. And we're laughing, and we're talking. And I look down there, and through that double door into the kitchen, there's a guy sitting back in the chair. He's got white hair. He's just sitting back. You get this every once in a while. He sits back in his chair. We're laughing, we're talking, the stories keep going. Now another guy comes out from mopping the floor. Another guy comes out from the bathroom. Another guy comes down the pole from upstairs. Now there's a group that went from two to like four or five. We're standing there laughing, telling stories. Now I look over, the double doors are both open and the guy's standing in the threshold. He's standing there, he's like checking it out. Walks around a little bit. We're talking a little bit more. Five minutes goes by, 10 minutes goes by. Now I look, and the guy with the white hair is now circling the apparatus bay around us, right? And he's listening to the conversation. He's looking for his time to get involved. Engagement. Then all of a sudden, he goes from walking around. We're telling a story. There's a moment and a pause, and I go, hey. Or I'll ask the guys, be like, what's his name? They're like, oh, that's, you know, Frank. I'm like, hey, Frank, how long you been here? Comes over, he's like, oh, going on my, uh, you know, 34 years. Awesome. Now he's involved. He's engaged. Now let's bring him in. And 20 minutes later, there's eight guys standing around. Frank's in the middle of the circle telling war stories. And I got young guys in that circle looking at me going, I've never heard that story before. What did it take? It took work. It took engagement. We need to engage our people, young and old. We need the gift of conversation. The only way the gift of conversation works is if you truly give a shit about the guy next to you. See, for me, when I travel around the country and go to all these firehouses and talk to guys, I truly want to know about you. I ask questions. I'm like, how do you guys operate? You run a three-man engine? Cool. Like yesterday in Brockton, they got the rescue and the squad. So I'm like, how's this work? You guys run as a two-piece company. Does the squad have a first two engine company response? And then you're the secondary rescue. Like, how many guys you got? Oh, you know, we can, we can go up to five, typically three, maybe four. Ask questions. Actually give a shit. Be sincere. See, guys love talking about the job. I've never found anybody, well, uh, that's not true. There's guys that are like, get out of here. I don't want to talk to you, right? 
But I can tell you that's like one out of 50. See, when we engage people, and this can be done on a small scale where it's like, hey, man, I've never driven a trailer before. I'm on shift, and if a water rescue call comes in and the ambulance is out with two guys and the two other guys are on a CO run or a, a lift assignment and there's two other guys here, I might have to drive the utility with the boat before everybody else gets there. Guys, I've never driven a trailer before. That's not unheard of. I don't know many kids that can drive a trailer. I watched so many kids in my firehouse try to back the boat trailer in, and I, I have to turn around. It's terrifying, right? Oh, the camera doesn't, I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> I'm like, guys, on both doors, there's mirrors. I don't, I don't know if you guys have ever seen these mirrors, but um, it's, a, it's, a crazy, it's a crazy time. My point is this, right? Not to make light of it, but have some fun with it is that, yeah, asking the questions, but the questions are only going to be asked in an environment that's conducive to the questions being asked. And you take it upon yourself to know your job. There's a reason why you're sitting here on a Saturday morning and not home eating Fruity Pebbles with your kids and wife or whatever it is, right? You wanted to be here because you want to be better. That's why this is the group I shouldn't be talking to, right? So ask those questions. Find an environment that's conducive to that. And if the environment as a whole isn't conducive, Know where you fit in. Know your place. Know the guy you can go ask. So if you don't want to put yourself out there, because the word introvert is a very big word in the world today, right? My 30-year-old says he's an introvert, but he talks to people all the time. Like, you're not an introvert. That's just what the Internet's telling you. COVID made you work for two and a half years in your apartment instead of commuting into the city every day. So now you think you're an introvert. Like, you're not an introvert. Get your ass outside and go talk to people, Right? Introverts don't want to ask questions. They don't want to put themselves out there. They don't want to be admonished. They don't want people to come back at them. So if we have a positive place where you can ask that question and say, guys, I've never backed a trailer in before. Can you guys show me how to do this? Can you show me how to hook it up, lock them in, plug the electric connection in? Can you show me where the plug is for the boat? Can you tell me how to inflate it if you have an inflatable, the manual versus the automatic? Like all those things. I've never driven a prop before. How do I drive this thing? Like, okay, I got my boat license. Great. It was a course. Now what? Those are all valid things. A good culture and good fire department is going to give you every single tool to succeed in that position. We have to do the work to get you there. We can't take for granted that you know how to back that trailer in. The problem is, it's a lot easier to be like, come on, guys, we're going to water call once a year. I don't want to go outside today and show this kid how to back a trailer up for two hours. Like, it's just easier to do this. We have to do the work. The work coupled with engagement. Engage each other, enjoy each other. Enjoy the gift of conversation. I was talking last, I was in Brockton's Fire Museum last night, talking with one of the retired chiefs that runs the, uh, and excuse me, I, I, I don't remember his name. I have it in my phone in a text message we were chatting. Um, beautiful guy. Yes, thank you. Beautiful guy, runs the museum up there, ex-chief of the department, right? All these things. And we're sitting there, and then Chief Nardelli's with me, and we're talking. And I said, you know, we were going back and forth about solving all the world's problems of the fire service. We sat there for probably over an hour in the second story of the museum, which is a gorgeous place. You guys ever been there, you know it. But if you haven't, I would challenge you to go to the Brockton Fire Museum. It's absolutely stunning. They have a working game well system. It's awesome. Um, we're sitting there solving all the world's problems. And I said, one of the biggest problems in the American fire service today is we've lost the salesman. We've lost the salesman. 
Every firehouse has that guy. I need this, I need that. Yeah, I got a guy, I got a guy, I'm the guy. You gotta go down to the motor pool and get new flashlights, you want a new coat, you need you know, batteries. We got that guy, the salesman, he goes in, he's the schmoozer, he's the talker, he knows the secretary who gets us to the guy that's gonna give you new gloves. Like, we have the salesman, the guy with the gift of gab. He's the guy that back in the old like 80s comedies movies, he was the guy that went and got all the girls and brought all the girls in for all the guys to go out with. Like, it's the salesman. We're losing that position. And that position is so important in society, let alone in our firehouses. The salesman is the guy that shows up fourth due and talks himself into the second due position. The salesman is that company officer that doesn't want to stand in the front yard like a shepherd. He wants to go to work. So he walks up, talks to the chief, and suggests things to him, puts it in his ear. Chief, anybody up on that third floor yet? It's looking a little, uh, looking a little hairy up there, chief. You want to get my company up there? You know what? That's a good idea. Why don't you guys get up there? Salesmanship. We love that. I don't go to fires to stand around. My guys know that. When we go to fires and I'm on that truck, we're going to work. I'm a fucking salesman, man. Let's go. Right? Let's go. Let's get in there and let's go do work. If I go to a fire, I want to go to fires. I want to go to work. I don't want to stand there and watch. So let's sell ourselves, let's sell our company, let's get our reputation with everybody to understand that when we show up, we want to go to work. We are the guys that need to go to work. Salesmanship, it's an important position. You know what's cool? Confidence, conviction. You know what people lack today? Confidence, conviction. Goes a very long way. Jeremy Donch, National Fire Radio, I've been called a lot of things over my lifetime. One of the things that I was called was a bully. And I'm like, am I actually a bully? Or do I just believe in who I am and where I am in life? It's my way until you can tell me different. Whether it goes from sales meetings to the firehouse floor to the fire ground. If you have a better way, I'm going to give you the opportunity to tell me we're gonna do it a different way. But if I don't believe it's better than my way, and I'm in charge, it's my way. And what happens is, is people don't have thick skin these days. And so now we have hurt feelings instead of saying, hmm, maybe he knows better, right? The thing is this, we have a job to do. Conviction and confidence matters. You can only have those two things when you've been there and done it when you have experience. When I go in my personal side with the business and I'm selling, I'm talking to purchasing managers, plant managers, and I'm selling big projects, I have to come from a place of knowing and experience. It comes through in your salesmanship. I'm not a bully, I'm confident. There is a fine line, don't get me wrong, and I'm gonna share a bully story with you. Um, I tell this in my program every time I tell it. Um, it always pops up on different slides and it's weird it's like on this one, but I'll take it, right? Because it goes in the conversation. I was a bully. I was a bully when I was a young kid. Um, I was always the big kid in grade school. I was the big kid in middle school. Kind of the big kid in high school. Played sports, athletic. My shit didn't stink. I picked on kids sometimes, especially in grade school, middle school. Seventh grade, riding a school bus to school, I picked on a kid, the kid punched me in the face, it was the best day of my life. I didn't know it that day. I was the bully on the school bus, I got punched in the face. 
I had the biggest shiner for two months on my face. You want to talk about humbling? Kareem Al-Taki, an Egyptian kid, knocked me out. One shot. Because nobody ever did that to me before. I was the bully on the bus. Seventh grade, what is that, like 13 years old? Kids sent me for a ride. Fast forward 20-something years later, I was the senior class president for our high school class, class of 95. We're doing like our, I don't, I don't even know what it was, 20th anniversary reunion or whatever. He's at that reunion, and I walked up to him, and I said hello to him. He said hello to me. We were fine. I mean, this happened, you know, so long ago. I said, I want to buy you a beer. He said, oh, okay, great. Why? You know, whatever. And I said, I want to thank you. He's like, for what? And I said, you taught me probably one of the biggest lessons of my I'm getting goosebumps right now. You taught me one of the biggest lessons of my life. I talk about this all the time with my kids. I talk about it on the platform with National Fire Radio. There's always somebody bigger, stronger, and better. You will get knocked down in life. It's what you do when you get back up. I stopped being a bully that day. That kid sent me for a loop. I bought him a beer, and I thanked him for changing who I was. I didn't know it back then. I do today. Comes, you know, clarity comes with maturity. I recognize the importance of that moment in my life. I am a firm believer that every single kid has to do two things. One, get punched in the face. Two, work in a service-oriented job. I think every teenage kid should be a waiter, pump gas, whatever the job is, that's something they should be doing. It teaches them a few things. It teaches them respect for the position. It's a job, these are jobs that will never go away. These are jobs that are filled typically with people that are struggling to get by. These are jobs that we need to be filled by people that work hard that aren't recognized for the hard work they put in in those positions. And it also gives us respect for them. See, my kids, they sit at dinner with me. We go out to restaurants. We go out all the time. Pat can tell you he's joined us. My family, come out with us. I want to show you my family. I'm proud of who we are as a family. And we'll play Uno, and we smile at the waitresses and waiters. We engage them. I over-tip. I was just telling my buddy this morning, I said I was on the phone on the way here, and I looked down and went to Dunkin' Donuts around the corner before I got here. And when I, sometimes I said to him, I said, oh, I got gift cards in my console, and I use one for Dunkin' Donuts. He says, oh, why do you have Dunkin' Donuts gift cards? I said, for Christmas, they were in, you know, like we give them to the kids, whatever, and this and that. And I said, but when I go to Dunkin' Donuts, I sometimes will buy $100 worth of $10 gift cards. And every once in a while, I just give them to people. I give the guy that pumps my gas in New Jersey, they pump our gas there. And if the guy greets me with a smile and says hello to me, typically when he hands back my credit card, I give him two, three bucks. I said, hey, man, I hope you get a cup of coffee. Small gestures like that make a huge difference in life. You could absolutely set somebody on a better path by just getting them a cup of coffee. Even a smile. We need to walk with our heads up, not with our heads down. But that bullying story, that taught me a lot, man. I live that to this day, that that was probably one of the most humbling experiences of my life. It changed me. That, the Hawaii story, and there's probably two other things that happened in my personal life 
that have made me who I am today. I am very different today standing up here talking to you guys than I would have been five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. I'm getting better at who I am. It's a work in progress. I did a keynote not too long ago and it was called work in progress and I talked all about that. It's a work in progress. More diverse the better, right? So we're gonna hop back into it. Diversity is important. Diversity makes us uncomfortable. I love that. See, I love, never before have I ever wanted to be more uncomfortable than I am today. I think when you're uncomfortable, it makes you have to make decisions. You have to face things head on. Be uncomfortable in life, don't get comfortable. Comfort leads to complacency, complacency leads to death. We cannot be complacent in this job, don't be complacent in life either. Push yourself to be better, be stronger. It makes us understand it, it makes us better. None of it matters. There's work to be done. Generation firefighter, age doesn't matter. Nothing else matters either, other than the job. Anybody know what that's from, the picture? Thank you, okay. I wanna make sure you guys understand these things. I was gonna do Land of Misfit Toys from like Christmas, like the Christmas movie, I don't know, but I didn't think people would get it. All right, cool. Patience. We live in a now world, man. Nobody wants to wait for an answer anymore. We live in a world today where everything is at your fingertips. Pat and I go to the bar, we share a pint, we start talking sports, who won the 84 World Series, and before we can even argue about it, somebody took their phone out and be like, oh, it was the Red Sox. I don't know if it was or wasn't, it's just you guys, I'm not a baseball guy. My point is this, answers are immediate today. So what does that do? That translates to everything else in life. We aren't patient anymore. We're not patient. We want everything now. Well, what does that do then? Well, in the firehouse, I'm not gonna wait for a decision. I'm not gonna wait for the, for the chief to come down and, and make a recommendation, or I'm not gonna wait because I want an answer now. And so while we're waiting, we're doing our own thing. That's dangerous. It's contagious. We often don't let people finish their thoughts. That's the bissing, uh, dismissing debate. Easy is fast, so fast is easy, slow is hard. I was a, I love things fast, man. Like I go a thousand miles a minute. But I've learned that with time, things get better. So have patience. The more patience you can put in, typically your return is better. Have patience. Career firemen, 20, 25, 30, 35 years. This is not a job that happens overnight in the volunteer service, 50, 60, 70 years in your volunteer fire companies. This is not a short-term job. This is a job that gets better with age. We are like wine, ladies and gentlemen. A fine wine takes time. We gotta caress it, love it, take it in, let it breathe. That's what this career is, that's what this job, the job, it doesn't matter who we are, the job. This is a long-term play. You're not gonna be the best fireman overnight. It's never, ever going to happen. This is a living, breathing thing, Brian. Thank you. Takes time. What's the rush anyway? I mean, are, are we enjoying it? Like, we all got into the fire service because we wanted to. Nobody drafted you. 
They weren't like, we need you, Uncle Sam, and we pull you in. You chose it, whether you took a civil service test, you interviewed in a chief's test, or you volunteered for your community. You chose this. Why? Why do we then want to rush it? You chose it. You're here on your own accord. You don't like it? Get out. You can go. But if you want to be here, be a member. Be contribute. Be a contributing member. We need more from you. Learn the job. It's a long-term play, not short-term. And enjoy the frickin' process. I love, and I've said it several times, I love going to fires. I watched the chief yesterday. Chief Gallagher, he was telling me that he misses going to fires. He was telling me about so many fires he went to up in Brockton. He still lives that. He loved it. He enjoyed it. It's who he is. Why rush that? Enjoy it. The job's supposed to be fun. We're not accountants. We're not plumbers. We're firemen. We're firefighters. We get to go do these things. We eat together, sleep together, go to fires together. There is nothing better than regrouping at the engine or the truck or the back of the squad after a great job, a good first do job. We make a grab. We do well on entry. We get that line in there and we put down three, four rooms of fire. Even for the chiefs on the outside, to see their men and women work effectively and efficiently and doing their job, we all walk away from that job with the same high. I don't care if you're in the job for 45 years or six months. That feeling of euphoria after a job where we are high-fiving and ass-slapping in the street is one of the best feelings we could all have as a firefighter. A job well done. Not every job goes to plan. We don't have highs at every fire. We have civilian fire losses. We lose firemen. We have guys get taken away from fires in an ambulance. So it's not always sunshine and rainbows. We can come out, regroup, but there's just something about re-racking a hose bed when the sun's coming up that I don't think any of us regret. It's fun. I freaking love going to fires. I hope you do too. Positioning, this is important. A buddy of mine, Mickey Farrell, Top Floor Tactics, if you follow him on Instagram, he's become one of my dear friends. He's a New York City lieutenant. Um, grew up as a Jersey kid like me. I didn't know him until, you know, last four or five years. We've become very good friends. He was on my podcast many years ago when I first got to know him. He talked about being in the kitchen and knowing your position. He's like, if the guy's got the sausage on the grill and one guy's cutting the onions, where do you fit in? Well, you cut the peppers. It's that simple. It's knowing where you fit in. It's knowing your role, knowing your position. Take it back to that original Aloha slide. What is up is up, what is down is down. Know your position. Know where you belong and contribute in your position. Contribute to the mission. If you do your job and I do my job, we will win. Don't worry about my job. I got my job covered. You worry about your job. And if we do our jobs together, the mission is done and we will win. We will succeed. Know where you belong. Understanding comes with experience. It will take time. We were just talking about it before with these rock stars over here. We were talking about how do you teach initiative? 
How do we teach initiative to the new kids in the firehouse? How do we teach them to go to the rear when we're working with understaffed companies? I have to trust as a 29-year firefighter that the three-year firefighter is going to be able to go to the rear, make the decisions that need to be made to affect the outcome we need. That takes experience. Because you can't take initiative without experience, but now we lack, we fault our guys. We don't have as many fires. Our guys don't have the experience they used to. So we need to find other avenues to give them at least some type of experience. Whether it's more training, more of this, more conversations, more work on a company level. Give them every single tool to succeed. Give them every single tool to be able to take that initiative. Because the fire ground is full of taking initiative. And if we have subpar people out there that can't make a freaking decision, somebody dies. If we have a culture where a kid doesn't know if he can take glass or not, if he takes glass and gets his ass chewed out because he shouldn't have taken glass versus taking glass and affecting the ventilation which allowed the line to push in, which we can make a grab. We have to give the kid the tools to make that decision and we can't create an environment to fault him for making that decision. Consistency in our message. We can't create an environment where a guy has to worry about the decision he makes on the fire ground. My rule of thumb is this. Give them every single tool we can give them. Let them make decisions on the fire ground. If it's not the decision that I would have made, at least give them the opportunity to explain to you why they made the decision they made. And if they can articulate a good point of why they did what they did, how, is, how can you fault them? What you could do is tutor them and gave them maybe a couple more tenants or tools to make maybe a different decision next time. How do we tackle that conversation with our people? Salesmanship, delivery, all those things that I talked about lead up to giving our people the tools to make the right decision to do our job correctly. Does that make sense? <clears throat> the environment. Our surroundings influence us. Fire department, fire company, the community we serve. Firefighters. That's, everybody know who that is? Biff. Probably one of the biggest losers, right? You hang with losers, you're going to be a loser. Who do you want to hang with? I want to hang with winners. I don't want to hang with losers. This is something I've heard a lot about lately, and I think it's fantastic. I'm not taking credit for it, but always talking about the old days. If you're with a group of friends or guys in the firehouse, and all they do is talk about the old days, the way it used to be, the way we are, and they're not doing anything about today and moving this job forward, those people are holding you back. If you're only focusing on what used to be and not where we're headed, they're stunting your growth. Go find a crowd of people that want to move forward. The people that are stagnant and resting on what they know and did aren't going to let you succeed and move forward. Look at the people you hang out with. Hang out with winners. Don't hang out with losers. The rule of thirds, I mentioned this slide before to a couple of guys I was talking to, right? So I look at it this way, and, and the second bullet there, not sure if I thought of this or if it was influenced by somebody else. I'm going to be honest with you. My brain is always going. I wake up in the middle of the night with a thousand thoughts. My best thinking happens in the shower in the morning. I'm one of those guys that has to shower every morning. I can't get up and just go do things. I have to, like, get up, shower, get this hair going, you know? Like, that's important to me, right? 
So I need the shower, but my best thinking happens in the shower. And a lot of times when I get out of the shower, I forget about all my great ideas. Because I can't like write things down in the shower and stuff, right? So I like sometimes I keep my phone on the on the vanity or whatever. My wet fingers like putting something in. I showed one of the guys my list of stuff in my phone that I keep notes. So I don't know. I might have stole this from somebody, and I hope if somebody knows like who came up with this, I would I would love to like give them the credit for it. Thirds, one third winners, one third average, one third losers. Our fire service doubles down on the losers all the time. We need to bring them along. We need to get them up. Well, if you bring the losers up, where are they going to get up to? Average. Why aren't we doubling down on our winners? Don't we understand that there's just some people in the fire service that cannot be helped? That this job will always have losers? Career or volunteer, this job will always have losers. Why are we wasting our time with them? Why are we changing the rules, changing the bylaws, changing SOGs for the, for the minority, not the majority? Double down on the winners, winners, focus on the average. Give the average the tools because the average can come up the winners. It's very rare a loser becomes a winner. Focus on the average. Bring the average up to the winners and give the winners every single tool they need to succeed. Double down on your winners. The winners are going to move you forward. Losers are anchors and they will bring you down. They will hold you back. They are the ones that are stunting the growth in your fire departments. And we're always going to have them. So you either give them the longitude and latitude to be losers and to infect the rest of the organization, or you push them over here and move right past them. Now, I know it's easier said than done. I'm not, I'm not blind to that. But we at least have to have this conversation to get the wheel spinning. The winners need to know they're winners. They know. They know. But do you know how many winners come to me? And they're like, I'm so freaking frustrated, man. I'm in a small job. I have no movement. I can't go to another company. I can't find more people like me. I want to surround myself with winners. I can't find them. It's a challenge. Bigger the job, more opportunity, obviously. What we need to do from a managerial standpoint, I know we have check boxes. I know we have minimums. I know we have standards. And all of that has to be met. But the informal stuff, a few good men, that code red, you're damn right I issued that code red. Think about that. We don't need to admonish the losers. We just don't need to give them any credit, any room to breathe. Focus on the average. Take that kid that's struggling, that wants to learn, the kid that wants to learn about the boat, the trailer. Give them every single tool so they become a winner at that. And then double down on your winners. Give your winners that training budget. Give your winners the ability to go do external training. Give your winners an opportunity to come to something like this. Give them the tools to be even better than they are. When you go all in on your people, I said this before, we expect everything from our people. And when our people ask the department for something, we don't give it to them. See, it's a relationship back and forth, and I understand the politics involved. 
But don't forget this, if you wear white, you're still a fireman, a firefighter. That never changes. You're just in a different role. It's important. Double down on our winners. Don't focus on the losers. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your resources. They're not going to come up the chain. They're not. Be a winner. It creates an, create an environment for winners. Winners don't waste their time with the nonsense. The winners aren't the trolls on social media. The winners aren't the guys thinking their opinions matter because they're not going to waste time with that. They're focused on themselves. They're focused on the mission. And they're doing their job and they're doing it well. That's the infection we need in our fire departments. That's how we get this job to the next level. Focused and driven, some of the very best firefighters in the world will never hear from because they don't have the time, wants, or desires to do what I do here today. Give them a platform for growth. Take the very best in your organizations, put them up in front of people, and let them share their excitement, their love, their passion for this job. Promote the winners. If we don't, we lose. Mission over me, the mission must always be placed ahead of me. Consistency. See, when we focus on ourselves, and it's about me, 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 it will never be about the mission. And so when you focus on yourself, Every decision you make is self-serving. And when it's self-serving, you'll never ever support the mission. But if you put the mission first, if the mission's more important than you as the individual, you will have consistency in every single decision you make. Because every decision you make affects the outcome of the mission. It's only when we allow ourselves to focus on our own personal needs, wants, and desires does it get gray. Can it get squirrely? All of a sudden, we lack consistency. How can we punish a guy today and not punish another guy for the same thing tomorrow? It's not right. Consistency matters more than most. When you're in it for yourself, your self-serving becomes about you. When we focus on ourselves, the mission instead, or over the mission, we lose. This is a mission-driven industry. It's a business about life and property preservation and protection. I'm not changing your electrical panel. I'm not telling you you have torn cartilage in your knee and I'm not cashing your check. I'm coming to your house because you called because you're having the worst freaking day of your life. We don't get that luxury of putting ourselves over the people we're serving. I know that sounds easier said than done. I get it. But this is a job and a profession or a volunteer fire department that you chose to do. You elected to put yourself in front of harm's way for strangers. You don't get to put yourself first. The mission always comes first. It has to. And when we put the mission first, then everything else falls in line. It's only when we focus on ourselves we put ourselves ahead of the mission, well, we lose. When we lack consistency, we lose. Chief, no good? I'm teasing. You told me you had to go. Thank you very much, Chief. I appreciate you. Yeah, great. Thank you. 
I saw him. I had to take a shot. He's the chief, right? Got to throw a shot at him. So it's so easy. Guys, does this make sense? Like, I know it's easy. I'm not standing up. I said, I'm guilty of all this. I've put myself first plenty of times. I talked about before how I don't have the time I used to have. I'm choosing other priorities over the firehouse. I'm choosing my family or my business or other things ahead of promoting the next guy to be better at the firehouse because I don't give him the same time I used to put in at the firehouse. I get that. That's life. I am guilty of all this. I'm not standing up here preaching any of this. What I am saying, though, is we need to have conversation. We need to address this. We need to understand that the fire service truly is unlike anything else. And we get to have fun doing it. Let's not lose track of that. I mentioned this one before. Stop saying no. We are an environment today of saying no. This is an environment that we have today where it's all about like, hey, man, I'd love that. Nope, we're not going to do that. Yeah, but I want it. Nope. There's no, there's no reason. We don't. Yeah, but you. Nope. We dismiss and say no all the time. Why aren't we saying yes? Hey, Cap, I saw this on the Internet. I'd love to see if we can repack our front bumper line. We run 150 for car fires brush fires, garbage fires, whatever we run that front bumper line for. I noticed, I saw on National Fire Radio, there's this really cool way we could pack the front trough. We could put 100 dead with a, with a donut of 50. The guy carries the 50, pulls the two loops, carries it out, rolls out his 50, and we'll put water on that car fire in 15 seconds on arrival. I'd love to see if we could pack that front bumper. And the captain's like, come on, man. It's the internet. Right? What is it? 100%. So what do we do? We say no. We take that kid that's 25 years old that on his own is promoting himself in the job. He's looking for something more because he's on YouTube. He's on social media. He's seeking and searching more because he's hungry. And he then brings it back to you guys and he says, guys, I want to pack this front load. Let's try this. Not we need to change it. Guys, the way we do it's wrong. I'm not saying that. That's wrong. It's about approach and delivery and salesmanship, right? We talked about that. I'm saying he comes in and says, Cap, Lieutenant, senior guy, I saw this. It looks pretty cool. You want to you pull the rig out? We'll try it on the ramp. We'll see if we can make it work for us. Eight out of ten times, it's a no. We don't need to. What's the point? What did you just do to that guy? Bunch of things. You stunted his growth. Is he going to come back next time excited? Next time he's in the, on the can and he's scrolling through his phone, he's probably going to start looking at other types of content and not even seeking out better things for his own fire company because you stunted his growth. How dare you? How dare you? Who the hell are you? Because you're lazy? Because you've gotten complacent? You're going to stunt the growth of somebody else? Who the hell are you? These are very real things that are happening every single day. I challenge you to say yes. I challenge you to say, yeah, man, let's try that. We might not be able to do it this morning. Maybe next time we're in, like next, you know, on our next tour, we'll, we'll pull the rig out back. We'll try it. Give them the opportunity. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? It doesn't work. And you go, told you, kid. Right? That kind of feels good a little bit, right, when we're right, you know? 
Sometimes things are done for a reason. Sometimes it's been that way for 30 years because it works. Or you stand there and go, shit, that works. That's exciting too. Because if it does work and you're the type of boss or the type of company or type of department that allows for that, you just propelled that young kid to the moon. That you gave him an opportunity, he delivered, and it works. And what is it doing? It's about the mission. It's not about him. He didn't bring it to you so he could be right. He brought it out of the pure interest in bringing something better, different, new. Make the job better. Make our company better. Get water on the fire quicker. Engine two and engine four are going for the same car fire, and you guys can stretch faster. That's a good feeling. Give opportunity. Say yes. Stop saying no. The only reason we say no is because we're lazy, we're complacent, and maybe you're going to get shown up. Oofa. You imagine if the senior guy or the company officer gets showed up by that 25-year-old kid? Doesn't look good for him. So what's he going to do? He's going to stunt your growth. He doesn't want that. He sees it as competition. It's the same guy that answers the same question of why you ask when you ask why, and he goes, because that's the way we've done it. It's because he doesn't know. He's now threatened. You've challenged him informally. Whereas for the younger kid, it wasn't a challenge. He wasn't drawing a line in the sand. He just inherently wants to know. But you lack confidence in your own skills and abilities. You lack the ability to sell, be a salesman, to educate. We don't need leaders like that. We need leaders that say yes. We need people in leadership positions that will lift their people up. Give your people the tools to succeed and give them a, an environment to thrive. Be the change. Never sacrifice your morals, ethics, values I talked about before. Change takes time. Patience. That was a slide. Change takes time. And do not beat your chest. This is where we run into some problems. Jared Mann, he's a fireman down in Australia. He's a fret like this monster guy, tatted up, big mustache, talks with a talks with his Australian broke, like he's one of my brothers, man. I took him, I have this restaurant, Pat knows because he's been there. I have this restaurant in Hoboken, New Jersey. It has eight tables in it. I have a standing reservation the third Friday of every month for four people, a four top. Eight o'clock, third Friday of every month, Augustino's, one of the best Italian restaurants in the state of New Jersey. It's an hour from my house and I will be there on the third Friday of every month as long as I'm not traveling. I only take dear, dear friends and people that I highly respect to that restaurant because it's an experience. I worked for over 20 years to get that standing reservation. I'm very proud of it. I'm going to take that to my grave. If I move to, I was going to say California, but God, I would never move to California. If I, if I move to like Idaho in my bomb shelter, in my bunker, in my school bus buried under the ground, I will still come back on the third Friday of every month for Augustino's. Hot sausage, fresh grapes, and a reduced balsamic. It's one of the best things you'll ever have. I've never had it anywhere else. It's my favorite place in the world. It's not just the great food, cocktails. It's the experience, and it's the people I get to share it with. It's important to me. I took Jared there. That's how important this guy is to me, and I met him 
literally twice, I think. Twice. He lives in Australia. And we had this immediate connection. He was on my podcast. I challenge you all to go listen to it. It's a great episode. He talked about the importance in his firehouse where creating the environment, sometimes playing darts in the firehouse is just as important as stretching a line out back. We can't lose sight of that. Sometimes the drill is not the drill. My friend Mickey Farrell said that. Sometimes the drill is not the drill. Sometimes the drill is sitting around the table bullshitting, and that's just the drill. It's all part of the equation. My point is this. Don't beat your chest. If you're the kid in that firehouse that wants to push himself to be better, understand that if you go in and admonish everyone because they're not out there throwing a two-section 35 with you, Mr. He-Man out there by himself, and you walk in and go, you guys suck. I'm out here working hard. I'm training all by myself, and you guys are sitting here drinking coffee. I'm better than you. It's not going to work. You're not going to get them to come on board. But if you go outside with consistency and you throw that two-section 35 or that two-section 24 or 28, and you're bettering your skills, or they see you cleaning the halligan after a job on the wheel in the shop, or they see you cleaning out a compartment, that's infectious. I promise you it is. Somebody's taking notice. You could be in the biggest slug company and be a rock star in that company and have slugs around you. I promise you they take notice of it. I promise you. Remember, this is a game. It's patience. It's a long game, not a short game. The problem is all we know is the short game. Nobody has the patience anymore for the long game. If you want to affect change, it takes work, it takes time, and most of all, it takes consistency. They will come. And if it is the one-third losers that you're stuck with, well then, the good thing is, today more than ever, you have the ability to go find people that will make you better. Community, now more than ever, you can find like-minded firefighters. Opportunity. 20 years ago, there wasn't this. 20 years ago, there were just a few fire conferences. 20 years ago, guys didn't care as, I don't want to say that. The, the, the care is different today. Guys are seeking more of an external tool to make their job better, to make them better. We are actually in a really good time in the American Fire Service. Now more than ever, we have an incredible array of tools available to you. These guys with 25, 30 years ago, they didn't have all these tools. They were insular. We talked about that earlier. They were in a place where they only knew what they knew, where they grew up, where they rode. They didn't know the differences or what people were doing across the country, across the world. And today, you have access to that on any type of level you want. You can seek it out and go find it. It's an interesting time. Be the dumbest guy in the room. I am a dumb fireman. I started off this program saying that. It's all I am. I'm a student. I love talking fire. I love meeting each and every one of you, learning your individual stories, because I truly care. Believe it or not, I do. I love it. I absolutely love it. I love doing this. This is fun for me. I, I love this. But I love being the dumbest guy in the room. I'm in a text group on my phone with 20 guys. Max is out of 20 guys. Some of the biggest names 
in the American Fire Service, and I'm in, I'm, I have the unbelievable, gracious ability to be in this group. I don't know why, why I'm in there. I am a fly on the wall. I rarely ever put anything in there other than order like, hey, happy birthday, happy birthday, blah, 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 right? I don't get involved. I sit and listen. I watch. And the names in that text group are the guys that we all grew up reading. Those are the guys that talk on the national stage. That is the 1%. And I'm in that group. I don't take that for granted. I am the luckiest guy in the world. And I'm also the dumbest guy in that chat group. But you know what I do know? I know that. I know I'm the dumbest guy in that group. So I know where I fit in. I know my position. And with that, that makes me better. Sit with the winners. The view at that table is very different. When you hang with the losers, what are you? Loser. Don't be a loser, man. Be a winner. Fact versus feelings. This is where we get all messed up in debates, conversations. We put our feelings ahead of facts. If we could remove feelings and argue facts, we'd be in a better place. But we are human. So feelings get in the way. I don't want to beat that to death. But think about when you're having a debate or talking about something. Are you coming from a place of fact? Or are you coming from a place of feelings? If you're letting your feelings get in the way of how you're making your judgments and decisions, you need to refocus and think about that. Because it comes off a lot harsher than you think. Careful. Other words that matter. So when I did this program, this program's always evolving. And I'm thinking about doing a program just called this. Because words actually matter. We throw around words. I have a lot of highlighted words in red throughout this whole program. I thought I was like really crafty, learned how to hit the bold button, superscript, you know. But those are words that stand out to me. And I was thinking of doing a program where I just take all those words and literally just run down a line of all these words, which I might do, spin off another class. But so there's just, I didn't know where these really fit in, so I just wanted to throw them in. It's conversation piece. Please, if there's questions, comments, because we're at 1130. So I'm going to wrap by 12, but I would love to get some conversation so we can mix all that in. If you guys have questions or anything you want to ask, add, you want to tell me I'm wrong, I'd lo I love those conversations. Please tell me. I, oh, I want to learn. I want to learn because I'm not saying what this is up here. It's my opinion. I said before, opinions really, you, you think your opinion matters. It really doesn't. All I know is these are trials and tribulations, things that I've learned and lived along the way and sharing a message. I'm not saying that this is all going to work for you. I'm not going to say any of this works for you. I don't know if I offered any solutions through this program, but what I did was start conversations. And that's what I talk about on the podcast. Talk about this, because when we talk about the job, we're making the job better. I hope today, ultimately, the mission of this conversation is you take something from this program, take it back, and share it. Talk about it. Whether you agree or disagree. If you disagree, great. Go back and be like, I saw this blowhard on the stage for three hours. I can't believe anything he said. I disagree with this. What do you guys think? Have that conversation. I'm okay with it. Trust me. I'm okay with it. My kids tell me I'm wrong all the time. All of us are guilty. It's a cycle. I'm entitled. You're entitled. You're entitled. It doesn't matter if you're young or old. We're all entitled. We are in this world today of entitlement. We throw the word around like crazy. Typically, it's the older guys saying that the younger guys are entitled. That's where we typically hear it from. It usually comes from the top down, entitlement. 
Why don't we flip that conversation for a second? I know the next generations are entitled. I know they are. I made them. I made two children. I have four. I made two. I nurtured two. I natured two and I nurtured two. Or I natured two, nurtured four. My stepkids I nurtured. I didn't create them. They're not my DNA. They're not me. But I certainly had an impact on their life. I taught them morals, ethics, values, right, wrong, please, thank you. Things that actually matter in this world. I worked at that. My wife and I worked hard at that. I nurtured four children. I blame them all the time, and it's my fault. I don't want my children to struggle. I don't want them to have the same trials and tribulations that I had. So every generation that raises the next makes it easier for them. That is how we do it. Whose fault is that? I don't know. I don't know if we could blame the ones that are raising them or blame the ones that were raised. I don't know. It's a crazy round and around we go. But the people that blame the next generation, the guys that sit in the firehouse and talk about how entitled these young kids are, get up, go in the bathroom, look in the mirror, because you're the asshole that created them. So you can talk all you want about the next generation, but you're the reason why they are the way they are. Your generation created them. That's the real conversation. But let's flip this around. Entitlement from the old guy. All these old guys think they're entitled to all these things. I've been doing this for 35 years. I'm entitled to this. This is where I belong. You give me respect. I'm supposed to have this. You're supposed to bow down to me, kiss my ring, whatever it is. That's also a sense of entitlement. You think because you put in your time, you're owed. This job owes you nothing. Nothing. The funny line of thank you for your service. What do we do with that? This job doesn't owe you. Yes, you've been there. How about the kid that's the young kid in the firehouse, in the volunteer firehouse that's there all the time, puts in all his hard work, lives there 20 hours a day, cleaning the tools, cleaning the trucks, doing this, doing that. Is he entitled to anything more than the next guy? No. No. He's choosing. I told you I'm going to fall off. He's choosing to do those things. He's contributing his own worth. His morals, ethics, values, his work ethic. But it doesn't entitle him to break the rules. It doesn't entitle him to get any more. Here we go. Box? Boo. My point is this. Entitlement, it flows up and it flows down. Young and old were both guilty of entitlement. Accountability, stop playing defense. Go into offense. Why do we want to play defensive football? Let's score points, not stop points. Let's go. We're a fire department. We're made of alphas. We are strong personalities, outgoing people. We are opinionated. I will challenge any of you to a duel. That's who we are. So let's go. Go. Honesty, integrity, character, those are very tough words these days. 
I can go down a whole road on those. I like to think that who I am, who I've become, is a good person. I have integrity. I have character. Because at the end of the day, you could have the most stellar fire career. You could have 175 grabs under your name. You could be the saltiest, the saltiest guys in your fire department. And you could still be a piece of shit. Who do you want to be? Legacy matters. Legacy matters. The name on your coat matters. Department and your own. They both matter. Mission over me. The name on the top coat, the name on the top matters. The name on the bottom coat matters too. We need to focus on the mission, not yourself. Be a good person. Carry yourself in a good way. When you leave that job, you want them to remember you for the highs, for the guy you were, for the guy or the boss you were able to be when somebody picked up the phone at 11 o'clock at night with a gun in their mouth. A guy that got jammed up with a DWI because he's going through a divorce. Be that guy. We can all be stellar firemen. We can all go make a grab. We're trained. We can all stretch a line. We can all do every hard task on the fire ground. Can you do the hard stuff for each other? That's the guy and girl that fucking matters in this fire department. It's the person, the character, the integrity. That is the stuff that truly matters, and that is what legacy is built on. <clears throat> what are the expectations? How can we hold people accountable if we don't tell them what they got to be accountable for? Do we have a program in place? Do we have our SOGs, and then we have our SOGs? Is it convenient to hold people accountable for some things and not others? Expectations. If you expect something from somebody, they better be told. How can you hold somebody accountable for something if they didn't know they had to do that? Now, I'm not saying you spoon feed. Let's be honest. I'm not saying like, okay, guys, we're going to take breakfast from 8 to 9, and then a box comes in, and now we're eating at 9 or whatever. Like, yes, there has to be flexibility, and common sense needs to be built into the program. But at the end of the day, we need to give our people the tools to make the right decisions, to do our jobs. And the only way we can do that is if we give them the expectations of what we expect from them. Make sense? Makes sense. <clears throat> so many people can't lead. Ego, I love this line. Ego is insecurity disguised. When I was a young fire officer in the volunteer firehouse, my first name was Captain Screamer. Full transparency. I'm authentic with you guys. I was young. I was a fire captain at like 26 years old in my volunteer firehouse. I knew everything. I was the shit, man. I had every answer. We did everything right. I never made a mistake. I was awesome. Fast forward 20 years later, I'm 46. I was the worst boss, the worst fire officer, the worst person. I hung with losers. I always talked about the past. Guys, I don't come to you today standing on a stage, which I hate standing on a stage, by the way, standing on a stage preaching to you. I, pre I talk to you today as an equal, as somebody that has gone through all this. Everything I've talked about here has been a challenge in my own life. It's just who I am. It's who it's made me, right? Ego. I had the biggest freaking ego. Pat will still tell you I have an incredible ego. But at least my head fits in the room these days. You know what I mean? A little bit of ego is good. Don't get me wrong. If you're going to be a boss, every single thing that happens is your fault. That's it. 
Your guys or girls step out of line, it's your fault. Your guys didn't put the fire out and went through the roof, your fault. Take ownership of it. If you want to be a boss, you want to make decisions, everything hinges on you. Bosses have to work harder than their people. If you don't believe that, you don't belong in a leadership position. Bosses need to double down on their work ethic. They need to double down on their people. If you have somebody not pulling their weight, pick them up. It's your job. It's not their job. It's your job. Bosses have to work harder than their people. Everyone wants to lead until they actually have to lead. I think the best quote, and I want to put it in here. I just I thought of it last night. Mike Tyson, he's like, everybody wants to be tough until you get punched in the face. I butchered the quote. That's why I want to put the real quote up there. But he's 100% right. Everybody thinks we can fight. Everybody thinks we're tough. And then you get punched in the face. Jeremy Donch got punched in the face in seventh grade in the back of a school bus. And that big kid that was a bully for many, many years had a very humbling experience. <clears throat> Nostalgia. It was always better yesterday, right? Always better yesterday. The fire service was so much better years ago. It's so cool. Long coats, hip boots, ride the back step. We went to fires, five fires a night. Today's fire service couldn't hold a lick to these guys. Our guys complain in the volunteer house if they get woken up to go to a fire call. In the career house, like, shit, we turned a wheel after midnight. Oh, I didn't sleep last night. Whatever it is, we all love the nostalgia. We love the old day. These guys in the Bronx, when the Bronx was burning, you think you could be them? I challenge you. I challenge you. Men of men, built of stone. The fire service today can't hold a candle to who those guys were. Cannot. So we love nostalgia. It looks cool. Ask them what it was like to fight fires looking like that when it was 30 degrees out with a 20-mile-an-hour wind, so it was negative 5. And you got four rows of tenements going. Your hoses are frozen to the ground, and you have a rubber coat and hip boots. We'd be cry. I'd cry. We all would. So we love, to, we love to think about the past and put it on a pillar and say how wonderful and great it is. And in retrospect, it's so freaking cool. Like, I look at these guys, and this is what, like, for me, fuels me. I'm like, this is cool. If I can give something back to the fire service and what I do with this, then I'm doing my part. I challenge all of you to go all in and do something more than you're doing now. Do better. It takes work. All of us, because it matters. Guys, that's my program. Thank you. <clears throat> National Fire League.